Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we return to the subject of lithium, in particular, the lithium triangle. The world requires more lithium to meet its electrification goals. And Chile, Bolivia and Argentina play a key role in that. What is the lithium triangle? What are the geopolitics? What are the economics? And why is Argentina now the centre of investment? Our guests are Taj Singh and Gabriel Rubacha. At the time of recording, Taj was the CEO and Gabriel was on the board of directors for Noah Lithium Brines. Since then, Gabriel has taken over as CEO and remains on the board. Noah Lithium Brines is a lithium exploration and development company focused on global battery metals with proven reserves in Argentina. As always, you can really support the show by sharing it with your colleagues or leaving us a positive review on the platform you're listening on. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Gabriel, Taj, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Paul. Thanks, Paul. We're talking again, lithium, the battery supply chain is so crucial to the energy transition. And in particular, we're going upstream in this episode and we're focusing on the lithium triangle and how crucial that is to getting the supply chain, the production up that's going to meet future demands. So let, we, we've covered it a couple of times, but I think it's important to start off with a bit of a recap. How exactly, and, and Gabrielle, maybe you can lead off on this, given your mining experience, how exactly is lithium extracted from the ground and, and produced? Can you just give us a quick 101 on that so, so we can set up for the rest of the episode? Basically, at this point in time, there are two main sources of lithium. One is out of the brines and the, the other from hard rock. And basically, geographically, brines, you got it in South America, it's hard rock. In, in Australia, the main sources, there are others in, in North America and Europe, but these are the main, uh, main markets right now in terms of supply. And there is now a th- third one that is clay that is uh, being developed in North America. That is still something that uh, needs to be commercially developed. But uh, the two main sources right now of, of lithium are brines, that is a uh, drill wells into the ground in the salt flats you pump brine of, out of the aquifers and then you concentrate that brine and process into chloride and then to get a carbonate a lithium as a final product out of the brines in terms of hard rock it's it's more getting a concentrate in in, in the origin and then process in central facilities basically in China. This is one one very basic what we got in in terms of what uh, we are we are located in, in brines. The traditional process is evaporation, which is uses the, the energy of the sun and the wind that is uh, easily and very inexpensive uh, source of power in, in the Puna, where most of the project prime projects are located in South America. So that, uh, that is very efficient. And then the, there are a number of uh, new technologies, uh, directly extraction that are 
in demo and pilot plants uh, all over the world, but still nothing already established in commercial uh, stage. This is, in, in a nutshell, this is DLE. DSE League, exactly. That's using a chemical process to basically extract the brines faster than just using the sun and the wind. Exactly. It's uh, to accelerate the time. I mean, in order to get a concentration or, or, or a much uh, concentrated brine before you got that brine into the process plant, you need between 18 and 24 months of the brine exposed to the wind and the sun. This process accelerates that process. Uh, that's why it is... Uh, sell this technology as a, put an, into market the project in much accelerated way. And, and again, get rid of some impurities and then you have to process in, in the same fashion as a, as a brine. But uh, what you get is yeah. an accelerated project. That's quite, it is quite consequential, right? Because that will play a little bit into kind of the valuation of the lithium yeah. triangle down the line potentially. But let's Let's park that there. Okay, Taj, you've got this concentrated lithium from the brines or, or the concentrated you know, from the hard rock. What, what then happens and, and, and at what point is the lithium sold into the supply chain? Can you just give us some sense of the market for lithium and the, and the, the value chain it goes through? Yeah, I mean, high level, as, as Gabriel had noted, we're ultimately getting to a lithium carbonate product. That lithium carbonate is a key component of the production of, of lithium ion batteries. And it's really kind of tr traded and priced through a, a pretty complex global market. So unlike uh, gold or oil commodities like that, lithium doesn't have a standardized exchange. So the pricing structure is a lot more uh, fluid and opaque. The price of lithium carbonate is usually actually determined through negotiations between suppliers and end users, for example, battery manufacturers. So there's obviously various factors that affect the price, purity and grade of the lithium carbonate, the size of the actual transaction, the volume of the transaction, the terms of the contract, supply and demand dynamics in the market, etc. And there are firms out there, market intelligence firms and specialized publications that can provide some benchmark pricing. But again, these can vary pretty widely depending on the source and, and specific market conditions. I would say, in addition, there's geopolitical factors, regulations, uh, technological advancements. They all play a, a role in the trading and pricing of lithium carbonate. But th this emergence that we're seeing of, of electric vehicles and renewable energy storage obviously has, has led to a surge in demand for lithium carbonate, which causes then fluctuations in pricing and trading. And sometimes you go look online and see, oh, what's the price of lithium carbonate? That's the price that's listed there. But oftentimes it's quite a bit different um, than what you're, you're, what's actually happening uh, in the marketplace. Yeah. And, and just a basic question. So that concentrated lithium, that's, that is then transported, shipped to, uh, to predominantly China for for processing there to turn it into lithium carbon correct you can there's you can there's an intermediate material called lithium chloride you can either ship that and then it gets further refined into lithium carbonate or you can actually make the lithium carbonate and ship that uh, i mean maybe gabriel can can talk about it but most of it is going to china but there is some plans even within argentina yeah in general terms what uh, it's been produced in argentina and i would say the same thing in chile is uh, lithium carbonate so the, the end product that is 
produced and exported from Argentina and Chile is lithium carbonate. In Chile as well is lithium hydroxide. Uh, so in, in Chile it's produced both. In Argentina it's, it's carbonate. That uh, product is exported to mainly to China, but also to North America um, for for using as a source uh, for, as a, a raw material for batteries, but it's a carbonate that is produced. There are three processing facilities here in Argentina. There is a, the, the, the oldest one is Liven, the, what used to be FMC, that it was uh, started up in, in 1995 or 96, something like this. I was involved in, at that time in, in that uh, in the construction of that. Then Olkem, what used to be Oro Cobre, and most recently this year, uh, uh, Minerexar, the joint venture between Ganf and Lithium and uh, Lithium Americas, started up the, the a new facility for the lithium carbonate. The three of them are lithium carbonate, and they are exporting that as a as a final product. Then what you get is uh, whether you get a battery grade or technical grade of the product that uh, will require further refinement in order to get the, the specs for the battery grade if you don't produce uh, that spec in, in the source in, in, at the plant. But uh, the export is carbonate. Yeah, great. Okay. And, and then this is consequential for sort of rooting the lithium triangle by which we're talking Bolivia, Chile and Argentina. So outside of the, the the lithium triangle, can you give us some sense of, you've already mentioned obviously Australia and, and South America, but some sense of roughly speaking of global deposits, but more also on, this is a highly consolidated business. You've been deep within that, Gabriel, over your time. And, you know, and most, most of the big resources are already owned and controlled and in many ways tied up by Gang Feng and other you know large Chinese companies that have spent 20 years building this lithium supply chain. Can you just, Taj, maybe you can just give us a sense of, of, of the global participants and, and why that leads to the lithium triangle being important, which we'll get Gabriel to talk to. So look at this from two ways. One is let's look at kind of what are the world's largest lithium deposits and then what are the largest kind of companies. And it gives you an idea really the, the deposits and the production are centered around South America, as we noted, Australia and China. So if you look at kind of the world's five world's largest deposits, you know, in no particular order, but the, generally the top five, you've got uh, the Salar de Uni in, in Bolivia, largest lithium reserve in the world, about 9 million tons of lithium. And then this next one is in Argentina, Salar uh, del Hombre Muerto, very prolific, high grade uh, Salar, and that's very, very high quality. Uh, then you move to Australia, you've got the big one is the green bushes. That's, a lar that's the largest hard rock deposit and it mainly contains phogamine. Uh, then moving back into South America is the Salar de Atacama, you've got, uh, which is in Chile. Again, very high purity levels, very high grade. And currently, and for the many, many of the past years, was a major source of lithium globally. And then moving to China, you've got the the Qinghai Salt Lake in China, which is a lithium brine deposit, and it was uh, you know the biggest one there in China, on the brine side. Um, so those are the world's largest lithium deposits. If we look at the companies, and you can kind of tie them in together, then you know you've got Al uh, Albemarle, U.S.-based company, 
one of the largest lithium producers. Uh, we've got operations in Chile, Australia, and US. You've got SQM, which is obviously based in Chile. Significant operations, obviously, at the Atacama Solar, which I noted, and they're actively looking for other things. I think they actually tried to make a bid for a hard rock project uh, just just very recently in Australia, but they'll be they'll be active. Uh, and obviously, they were involved in Argentina uh, on, on the at the Solar that, that Gabriel worked at, which which then Genfang came in and took their ownership of. The third one leading is the leading to this is Genfang, a big big obviously Chinese company various international partnerships, and it's involved in both brine and hard rock mining. Then you have Tanchi Lithium, also China-based, owns a big stake in the Greenbushes mine, which I had noted in Australia and has a big global presence. And then lastly, Gabriel noted Livent, which, which came out of the original FMC, US-based company, focuses on mainly lithium hydroxide production and, and has operations also uh, in, in Argentina's lithium-rich regions, obviously, as, as Gabriel noted. Fantastic. And as you, as you just highlighted expertly, so three of the top four deposits are all in this lithium triangle. Gabriel, can you just give us a sense of when was it started to be called a triangle and, 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 and kick us off on, uh, before we do a deep dive in each country, kind of on what what region we're talking here, where it sits and why it's so crucial. The, the lithium triangle comprises the, the southern, south, west portion of Bolivia, north, uh, northern part of uh, Chile and the north a west part of Salta. It's, it's an area that uh, there are many salt flats and, and the weather conditions are very unique. All those uh, solars are located at high elevations between 3,500 and 4,000 meters. Winds, dry, high sun uh, radiation, so provides a, a, a unique environment to develop this uh, type of uh, facilities and on top of that the, the the solars most of the solar not all of the solars but most of solar contain a high concentration of lithium within the aquifers that are underneath the salt flats uh, so it could provide a good mix of uh, having the resource and have a, a good condition to process those uh, the, the lithium that it's it's available there i would say that the lithium out of brine is you can assimilate more to a chemical process rather than mining because you are not a mining rock like you do it in australia or other places so here is more a chemical process you extract a brine out of the ground and then it's a chemical process it's a chemical plant at the end of the day so it's a it's unique environment that uh, provide a, a good possibility, and uh, it's close to the to the ports. That's the other advantage because uh, the northern northwest part of uh, uh, Argentina is pretty close to the ports in the northern part of of Chile. So it provides a, a very good platform to for the development of lithium in this area. And, and I guess the key point is, so it's there. You've also got the envi right environmental conditions to mean that you can get this cheapest way of producing the lithium, which is the brine method, right? 
How much cheaper is it to do the brining method, traditional method, than it is to the next nearest cheapest, whether that's hard rock or DLE? I know that's. I would say that uh, I mean DLE is still there is a lot of debate of where it's going to be the cost. There are multiple processes, so I rather not uh, compare to DLE, even though it's claimed to be more convenient or. But uh, in terms of uh, comparison to the other source, that is hard rock, uh, I would say that uh, producing lithium out of brine, it's below half the cost of producing lithium out of, uh, out of hard rock. The other thing is that uh, in general terms, it's more convenient to produce uh, lithium carbonates out of brine and probably it's more convenient to or uh, to produce a, a little hydroxide from hard rock. But in general terms, we are talking about a one, one to two. So for the, I think high level, four to $6,000 per ton around there for, for brines, Paul, and you're, you're looking at double that for hard rock, obviously depending on grade, et cetera. But that's, that's kind of exactly as Gabriel noted about a double. The big reason is there's no real mining costs, right? Yeah, you know, you're not having it's the energy intensive processes um, of hard rock mining or you're using the nature for free to do it for you. Um, that's really the big part of this. And, and again, still why why brines are the highest margin operations. And again, I just want to note the DLE operations. DLE is just one method other than the evaporation method that you can use with brines. DLE people talk about that it's going to be similar levels of costing, but again, as Gabriel noted, there's no real commercial DLE process out there yet. So really, you just have to go with the classic evaporation process costs for, for kind of figuring that out. And, and obviously, listen, DLE will come in at some point. There's lots of dollars being spent on developing it, and, and it allows you to use much lower grades and then have a smaller footprint, et cetera. But uh, it, it's not commercial yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is where that sort of concentration story is important. And not all, you know, the lithium triangle is not all equal. And before we do a dig dive into each country, and because I want to sort of get Gabriel, if you can just give us an overview, that there's been a scramble for whichever country, you know, for quite some time now. Obviously, like SQM have been around for quite a long time in securing these. Can you just give us a bit of a sense of the history of the lithium triangle and when it really started getting identified as as a real key resource for those three countries? You know, in terms of even you know before the energy transition, just the lithium-ion battery itself was already important, right, for cell phones and all the rest of it. As I mentioned before, FMC started their operation in 1995, 96. Uh, so it's we are talking about 20 years ago. SQM and and Albemarle had been operating Atacama for significant number of times, a number of years. I'm sorry. Uh, again, at that, at when they started the, the operation, it, it wasn't the energy transition, it wasn't even the, the, the cell phones. It was more associated with the potash than, than lithium. Lithium was a, a secondary product. And, and then it became, with the years, with the recent years, it became more central, the lithium rather than potash uh, uh, for, the, for SQM and Albermar. So, this, I mean, the exploitation of the lithium triangle has been uh, 
for years. Uh, in the recent years, the, there has been a, a boom in the, of the industry transition and the search for all the potential salars, not just uh, the big ones, as Dash uh, said before, Salar de Lombre Morto in Argentina or Atacama in Chile. So they started the, the, the search for each and every one of the salars that, that uh, got potential in the region. Bolivia has been uh, in the radar for many years, but got the complexity of the willingness of the government to get involved, to have a, been a national asset, a strategic uh, mineral, and the solar unit as well got a lot of contaminant. I mean, the impurities of the solar that uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult to process in comparison to Atacama or, or the salt flats in Argentina. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. So the backdrop now is that this has been identified as a crucial resource and there has sort of been this scramble and everyone is is, is out there looking for the right concessions, right deposit. So just staying on Bolivia, Taj, why, why is, you know, the sort of again like the the sort of the, the thesis here is that Bolivia and Chile are much harder than Argentina and Argentina is where it's at but can we start with Bolivia and say you know what are those complexities Gabriel mentioned a couple there the impurities and some of the the politics there can you just unpack that a little for us what does it mean why is Bolivia now challenging if you're out there trying to secure your upstream lithium supply chain? Just a quick comment before I just jump into Bolivia is it, what you'll notice is the lithium triangle started in Chile and it was big in Chile. And it's almost like Argentina has become the new Chile from the 80s or whatever. So and, and we'll talk about why that is and, and, and kind of the M&A action happening in Argentina. But if we look at Bolivia, um, Bolivia's lithium deposits, if you just first look at the nature of the deposits, are primarily located in their main solar, Solar Duni. It's the world's largest salt flat, as I mentioned before, 9 million tons of lithium. So obviously making Bolivia home to one of the largest lithium reserves globally. But there are challenges. So if we first, I mean, Gabriel had noted this, but there's an extraction challenge. The concentration of Bolivia's brine is relatively low, first of all, compared to other major deposits. And it actually has very high levels of magnesium. I'm talking 10 times more, even more than that, um, than you'll see in, 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 the, in, the, in the salt flats that are producing out of Chile and Argentina. So that just makes the extraction more complex and main thing is makes it more costly. Secondly, if you look at um, the altitude and climate, it's, it's located at a bit of a higher altitude. And so it's, the conditions are pretty harsh. So it can pose challenges to mining operations. And then if you look at kind of the infrastructure, and it, it goes back to the whole picture of Bolivia, there's infrastructures, there's limitations there, right? There's the well-developed the, the well -developed infrastructure you see in Chile and Argentina that for, for transportation and processing. You don't really have that here. And, and it obviously will then hinder any large-scale commercial exploitation. 
if we look at the second part of that political uh, kind of situation, um, let's first talk about nationalization, government control. Bolivia's government is historic, historically um, kept really rigid control over its natural resources. And that's always ongoing, these nationalization efforts. That's obviously limited foreign investment. Socioeconomically, always the benefits of lithium mining are weighed against the concerns over environmental impacts and the rights and interests of indigenous communities. It seems to be more amplified in Bolivia than the other two countries. And then Bolivia has sought international you know, partnerships with foreign companies, et cetera, but the negotiations <laughs> have just kind of been set back a lot. They've been complex, lots of challenges, delays, cancellations of projects. So these things have really, uh, have really kept kept Bolivia pretty, pretty slow from progressing. Um, the two major players I think you could think of are, is YLB, Yacimentos de Litio Bolivianos. Uh, that's the state-owned company, which is responsible for the uh, exploration and development of Bolivia's resources. It has various joint ventures, et cetera, and partnerships to advance the lithium extraction and processing. And then there's a few for foreign collaborations uh, with, with countries such as Germany and China, but they've really not amounted to anything. They've faced setbacks because of the, the things I talked about before. So that, that kind of summarizes uh, thoughts on uh, Bolivia. Paul, one thing that is probably worth mentioning is that uh, Bolivia wants, uh, and the same in some way uh, Chile tried at one point in time, is to go a little bit beyond uh, producing lithium compounds and having more end products like batteries or, or whatever you wanted to do with the lithium compounds. And this limit uh, the, also the appetite of potential investors. I mean, at the end of the day, the investors, which could be battery producers or OEMs, I mean, they are makers, what they want at the end of the day is offtakes on products, whether carbonate or hydroxide that they can use of source to produce batteries uh, at their disposal. And this is an, another lifting factor that you may have in Bolivia. Yeah, they don't want the, uh, they don't want the rivalry. What about, Taj, staying with you, what about Chile and, and you know, these the, the, the OG, as you sort of pointed out, you know, is, is, is it just simply, it's all tied up? Yeah, listen, it's tied up. Um... And all the major players have taken most of the good spots as number one. And it's kind of advanced. They're like two decades ahead of where Argentina was. Very uh, amazingly described in the great book, Boat Rush. I loved loved listening to all of that. And he really goes through it in detail there. It's fantastic. But it's, it's and now there's no nationalization issues that are happening. So first of all, talking about nature of deposits for Chile, most of them are found in the Salar de, de Atacama which is one of the driest places on earth. And it's very high quality of lithium. Uh, again, currently, and probably for the past decade, one of the most significant sources of lithium globally. Um, that will change as we move forward. If you look at um, kind of operating in geological challenges, pretty standard stuff, but it's, it's really a unique environment. You know, that's all I can say. It's a really well-suited environment for this production process, which is why everyone wanted, <laughs> wanted a piece of it. Impurities are relatively low. The grades are pretty high. There is some situations where there's some scarcity of water in Chile. Now they're talking about, which which is something that that comes up. But overall, very strong. 
political is really the part that I'd, I'd want to focus on. And maybe Gabriel can talk about it because he spent a significant part of his career in Chile as well. But there's a, there's a big move to, to nationalize now lithium. And um, it's considered a strategic resource. So it's led to restrictions on who can mine, how much is exported, how much can be even produced. Uh, number two, I think a big thing that's, that you see in Chile is these indigenous is the indigenous rights. And in, in these mining areas, sometimes fantastic projects can be stopped because of this. And, and so it can, and it obviously can lead to a lot of potential conflicts. Um, we notice that, but the big thing is, is that, uh, that the, it's a huge economic dependence on, on lithium. So it comes up a lot in government debates and, and major parts of, 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 of new leaders coming in or people vying for seats politically lithium comes up because it's such an important part of the uh, part of the um, economy of the country and then major players i mean there's there's a few of them but the big one is obviously sqm one of the large largest lithium producers you've all obviously also got albemarle uh, which has been there for quite a while too and then you've got the, the chilean government also has a, has a pretty vital role in regulating and overseeing the uh, the lithium industry through through its state-owned development agency Corfu. So I think it'd be good for maybe Gabriel can can shed some light on Chile because he spent again a lot of time there. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the most important thing is that uh, lithium in Chile is strategic. Many years ago, it was defined as strategic because it was used for the nuclear energy. So in order to get uh, approvals to process or to produce lithium, you have to get uh, one key permit besides uh, any environmental permit that you require no a normal mining operation is the the permit from the nuclear uh, energy commission uh, this is something that is controlled by the government so this is critical in order to get uh, approval for any new operation both Albermar and SQM have been operating for decades in Chile but as you will know, there are no new projects in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, all, both of them are operating in the Salar de Atacama, which is the largest and the, which it's great Salar. But there are other Salars like uh, Maricunga that got a lot of potential and, and there are players uh, with concessions there. The problem I would say now is that uh, the Chilean go government wants to be involved in the development of the of the lithium. A couple of years ago, it was uh, trying to find partners in order to get uh, a value added uh, in Chile, like uh, producing batteries, didn't work. Then you got the problem of quotas. The, the latest is that the, the, the government should be a partner in any new development of a lithium project in Chile. So there are a number of uh, hurdles that you got that in comparison, for example, to Argentina are, are much more convenient in Argentina. Chile is and have been a mining uh, country for many, many years and the conditions of mining 
projects have been much, much better in, in Chile than in, in Argentina. But in the recent years, I'm concerned that Argentina is a federal country. So, so the resources belong to the provinces rather than to the national government. It's much, much easier, much more friendly to develop projects in Argentina rather than in Chile. So yeah, Taj, you mentioned we did a, we had Henry Sanderson on talking about his great book, The Vault Rush. I'm going to give myself a shout out here. Um, episode 117 for those that want to go back and, and listen to that. It's super interesting. Just one question before we move on to Argentina. We've mentioned indigenous peoples and so and, and um, challenges to this. When you when it comes to to brine, are there environmental consequences? What are you know what what should we be thinking about here in terms of impacts? No, I mean the. Uh, I would say that uh, indigenous communities are really in favor of the development of lithium. Uh, in terms of water, I mean the use of water for the project is, is not significant. As I said before, much of the, a big part of the process is using the, the natural uh, resources, talking about sun and the wind. The water that has been used for to process the, the materials is been taken from water sources that are not suitable for animal or human consumption has got uh, minerals that are not suitable for, for use. So besides a f few uh, very limited uh, communities that are not in favor of, the majority and the ones that got the benefit of the got the projects in the proximity of their, their communities are pretty much in favor of. And it's just, uh, the, the process itself is not affecting in any way or capacity, the environment in which they live in. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for that. Okay, so let's continue on our, on our thesis or your thesis as to why Argentina is, is now where it's at, I guess. Tell us about Argentina. Why is Argentina now seen and there's lots of investment going in to securing assets there? What is it about Argentina that means it can it's attracting investment versus Chile and Bolivia and so forth? As, as I mentioned before, the resources in Argentina belong to the provinces. The most of the resources, most of this salt flats or lithium reserves lies on, on three provinces: Jujuy, uh, Salta, and Catamarca. Three provinces. The three provinces are very friendly to mining and very pro-mining jurisdictions. As a matter of fact, Salta is, is ranked very, very high in the Fraser Institute ranking in terms of uh, mining jurisdictions. So this is one thing. Then there, there were a number of uh, solars that uh, were underdeveloped uh, in the last uh, 10 years. There were many companies trying to do something, and now with the energy transition, there's a, there was a rush to secure those resources, start developing that. As we said before, brine is, I, I wouldn't say it's much easier because it's complex, it's pretty complex, but once you define that you got a good resource with a good concentration, it's, it's pretty straightforward to develop the, the, the projects. 
you got the environmental conditions as we discussed before. So it's, it's a good combination and you got a very strong support from the provinces. That is, that is a key element that differentiates from our neighbors, uh, Chile and Bolivia. And that's why many of the investors in the recent years, I would say mainly from Canada, Australia and China uh, came to Argentina to develop their, their assets. Uh, what about the federal level? Obviously, Argentina is going through an election shortly. I mean, is there a sort of an agreement on both sides that this 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 represents a strategic asset and and so on? I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of volatility around the currency and so on. Just talk to us about that. I mean, the three potential candidates, the three that got uh, any chance to be elected in in October or November, in case of there is a balotage, which is highly possible the case, uh, are, are, are very pro-mining. It is known, and all the candidates know for, for a fact, that uh, mining should be developed in Argentina. There's a lot of potential of mining in Argentina. I'm not talking about lithium, I'm talking mining in general. And mining should be a source of capital to Argentina. I, I would say it's not related to lithium, but in mining in general, we got lot of high deposits of copper in Argentina that needs to be developed. Uh, we got the big deposits in this side of the of the Andes uh, range. There are a continuation of the, the, the big assets, the big copper assets on the other side in Chile. So uh, all the candidates are going to be supportive of uh, the development of mining in general and lithium in particular. But again, the resources belong to the provinces, so that that is critical, and and, and this is this continue. So I don't believe there is going to be any change in the and at the federal level in terms of uh, support to the development of lithium in Argentina. Can you give us some sense of scale of how much investment has gone into, you know, I guess, acquiring? concessions or whatever it might be called around these these deposits i mean you know how big has the scramble been over the last couple of years in argentina it's it's been a very volatile i would say uh, because you got uh, people that is paying several millions for a piece of land that got nothing got nothing i mean that there is no uh, not even geophysics and um, there are big transactions of the hundreds of millions for projects that got a feasibility. There were uh, recent transactions of uh, 800, a billion for projects that got feasibilities and, and there were transactions of in the range of uh, 300 for projects that got uh, at least an inferred resource already determined. In terms of uh, concessions with nothing, it's it's opportunistic, I would say. There are people that are buying for a few millions out there that start that there were available uh, at the provincial level that you just ask for that uh, concession. So it's very viable. But uh, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of uh, demand for, for assets in Argentina right now. It's a, it's a lithium rush. There are I mean, you got uh, the, the big players and you got uh, new players uh, from China, you got uh, new players from Middle East, you got uh, India, 
there is interest uh, from Russia, which is nowadays it's a little bit uh, complex, but uh, you got interest from Russia, you got interest from everywhere. E everybody wants to be involved in a certain way. Yeah, Paul, I'd add some color to that. I think I remember when I was first looking at this opportunity, is, is it was a staggering number, but it's something like eight or $9 billion since 2020 has been put into Argentina in the in the mining space and like 70% is in lithium and and again it's mainly spread out between the three provinces that Gabriel had noted Salta, Jujuy and Catamarca so a lot of money is coming in and we talk about all the different countries that are in it's not even just flying in and out anymore Paul like they've got full yeah. teams they just live there now and full offices from Europe, you know various countries in Europe you know China Australia, Koreans, they're all here. Really quick numbers. If you look at since probably October 2021, uh, there's been publicly, uh, so kind of public transactions, publicly traded companies have been six deals. Average size of them is about 700 US per deal. And you're talking about kind of uh, average size of the takeouts, usually based on a resource about 5 million tons. So you, they're paying, you know, 150 to 200 million dollars per million ton of resource. If you think about the cost to actually get there, a lot of these had five, six holes in it, Paul. And so just think about like the opportunity that represents if you have that asset, the actual cost to get to that resource is very low compared to hard rock mining. Hard rock mining, you need 50, 60, 100, 200 holes to really define the resource. What's interesting is the, the exploration, discovery cost, resource delineation cost of, of brines. Coming from the hard rock world, I found it unbelievable. And then the kind of values these companies are being taken out for, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Well, we better use that as an opportunity, a segue to talk about NOA, which you're both executives of, and kind of how you, well, you're, why you're there and, 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 and what makes your, uh, your, your asset and company, uh, you know, I guess, differentiated in quite a crowded field. Uh, it's, and this is uh, in line with your question regarding uh, how much is being paid for concession. During the last year, we've been putting together uh, deals and trying to acquire concessions in, in, in different salars. Uh, our focus was in the province of Salta and in three salars. So uh, the Around middle of uh, last year, we secured a land package of approximately 100,000 uh, hectares in in three salars, mainly Rio Grande, that is our flagship, uh, uh, Arizaro, that is the second project that we got in our pipeline, and Salinas Grandes. So in, in terms of Rio Grande, the way we define that as a flagship, is because there was available information from previous exploration done by other companies in 2011, 2017, that provided us the advantage to, to know for a fact that uh, this RR got uh, potential for, for lithium in certain concentration. Then we performed additional geophysics that, that confirmed that the, the concessions that we acquire got a brine underneath our uh, our property so that uh, led us to to assign this uh, uh, the, the target to start uh, exploration and 
the the other two projects that we got is Arisar that is probably the uh, it's no it's not probably is is the largest salar in Argentina are uh, still not developed there are several players also uh, working in Arisaro in exploration but uh, nothing yet uh, developed in Arisaro and then we got Salinas Grandes got this is one of the salars with more potential but we left that to be the third in our pipeline of projects the the unique advantage or unique uh, thing that we got uh, at NOAA is that we uh, got the pink land package and we got three projects so we have the, the opportunity to develop three projects uh, in parallel and provide value added to our investors on the development of three projects and not just one asset so far we've been demonstrated that uh, Rio Grande got a lot of potential in terms of uh, grades and big uh, a prime package underneath our properties, so our, we we are targeting to get a main resource in Q1 in order to start having more uh, value to our investors and to the company. But uh, we are confident that we got a very good opportunity with Noah. Yeah, I will. I will add a couple of points. I, whenever I'm looking at at these companies, I look for kind of three things. Paul, the underlying sector they're in is obviously very important number one and i think we're in the right space at the right time being in lithium number two i look at the assets what's the quality of the assets which i think gabriel has noted we have three very high potential assets we've already proven a hypothesis on, on the first one uh, at our flagship project and i think it's it's going to be a huge technical win and hopefully number two and three are, are there as well and the big thing in the lithium brine world is, is 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 land having land and we have we're the largest claim holder or one of the largest claim holders sorry on each three of those projects so that covers the assets part of it and then the third part of it for me is the team if the team is there that's that's what matters as long as the assets are there and this is a team again that has decades of experience in the region focus there it's not just some from some other country a team came in and is trying to get business done here they've been doing business for years and even the ability to put these assets together where majors might have had them they were able to get them opportunistically for good prices before the big surge in prices these assets would not be available again all is, is coming back on the team's ability to do that you know specific to the region specific to the commodity so those three things are really the ingredients i think noah has i think we're in the early days of many other uh, uh, several other successful uh, junior lithium companies and to be honest this area is all about consolidation, and that's what's going to happen. In the next three, five years, significant consolidation is going to happen in this region by the big players. Yeah, and, and to, to touch point, uh, I, one thing that I would say from a technical point of view, I mean, in terms of what we are finding right now, is that uh, we, we discussed before this thing about uh, how this uh, lithium brine are going to be processed. The grades that we are getting in Rio Grande will provide the, the, the flexibility to either go to evaporation, traditional process, or DLE. So the grades are not limiting us to go into DLE, which is the case in many other salars where the grades concentrations are much lower 
that the only route to, to process this brine is through DLE. That's a great point. I think if you had a tagline, we are the new high-grade lithium story in Northwest Argentina. That's really what we are. There's, there's other players out there that have some decent size. They don't have the grade we have that we're showing. Honestly, all of the transactions I talked about before, they were kind of in the range of grades we're getting, if not ours are even slightly higher. So at our flagship project. So I really do think a big differentiator for us is, is our very strong grades, as Gabriel noted, at our flagship Rio Grande project. Well, gentlemen, it's been really interesting talking the, the lithium triangle and uh, best of luck with NOAA or NOA Lithium Brines. You guys are on, um, you can be found on the TSX, I believe, as a, as a public company. So um, I will put uh, put that in the show notes. But, um, you know, fascinating. It's, it's, as you see, the, the, it's a fascinating space to watch. And uh, I think we all appreciate a, a deeper insight into uh, the, the Lithium Triangle and, and why it's important. Thanks, Paul. Fantastic, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.